Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. Gentlemen, I'm your host, Jonathan Ragus, and you're joining us for another exciting episode of Fan Junkies Radio, and it's episode 80. That's right. We are now 80 episodes in to our whole regime here on Fan Junkies Radio, and we just want to thank everybody for that. But as always, joining me, my partner in crime, Mike McShane. Mike, what's going on, bud? Hey, a little, little tired today, uh, Jonathan. Uh, exhausting, exhausting weekend of sports viewing, i got to tell you. Yeah, but a good one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I got. I mean, when you consider for a moment, I mean, Saturday started at noon and went until after midnight. Yesterday started at noon after midnight. We're covering everything. I mean, we were covering NCAA basketball. We're covering uh, NASCAR races. We're covering NHL. It was nuts. But that's the way we like it, Mike. Absolutely crazy. There's nothing better than a crazy weekend of sports. I, oh, I agree. I, it, it was it was wonderful. It was. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, you paid the price for it uh, on Monday. Absolutely. But we're going to cover <laughs> it now, so there's really no break for us. <laughs> I don't know. No, anyway. there is, no, there isn't. And uh, we're, we're overcoming many obstacles here today just to bring all of this to you folks. Absolutely. We already had a little bit of technical difficulties this morning. <laughs> as you can probably tell if it's just me or if it's uh, all of you out there. Mike's a little poppy as he's talking. It's because uh, uh, we had to call him from different locations, unfortunately. So Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry about that. I'm never trying. I have you know, technical difficulties over here at the frat house with my computer this morning and then this. Yeah, it happens. It always, ta- always happens that way, you know? Yeah, it always seems to happen. It's always that day. But then again, it's a snowy nasty day on the east coast here so who knows if that's part of what's going on here so yeah i don't i don't know that's that's just not right there's something wrong yeah exactly <laughs> spring and snow mike got it it doesn't mix it doesn't mix no <laughs> all right well let's <laughs> jump right into it before we do uh dive right into even more technical difficulties and i somehow lose your our listeners lose us here today uh let's go for a hat trick picks here mike we'll go through this real quick uh, first question: Will Zdeno Chara of the Boston Bruins register at least one point tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs? I think he's only had 14 points. I think in 31 games, something like that. I checked it this morning. Uh, odds are no. I'm going no as well. All righty. Which team will win between the New Jersey Devils and the Ottawa Senators? Taking the Senators on that one. Taking the Senators. I'm going with the drumroll, please. New Jersey Devils. As much as it hurts uh, for you say. How about that? How about that? All right. All right. Uh, second question. Uh, third question. Last question here. Which team will win between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Los Angeles Kings? Chicago's uh, just an incredible story they have been this year. Got to go with Chicago on that one. Yeah, going with Chicago as well. So the so only one we got different is New Jersey. There. All right. We'll see if it makes or breaks either of us. We'll keep that one in mind. Absolutely. All right, Mike. Today in sports. Today in sports, I can tell you, I, I kind of tied two in here together because, well, you're going to assume that they're very, very, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of similar. 1972, yeah. all right? 
Bobby Hull uh, joined Hal uh, to become the only oh, to become the second NHL player to score 600 career goals. No. Bobby Hull and Gordy Howe connected at the 600 career goals. Bobby Hull did it in 1972. Ten years later, 1982, Wayne Gretzky became the first player in the NHL to score 200 points in one season. That was amazing. That Absolutely. was amazing. Absolutely. Amazing. I don't think we'll ever see that again. 1982, I do remember that one. 1972, no, I do not. <laughs> no, you do not. <laughs> I do not uh, remember that one. I just want that one out there on the record before you go accusing me of you know, going back to like 1932. No, come on, man. Of course you didn't remember 1972 ones. You were going to the job interview that day. Were you, 24? <laughs> 1972. No, I wasn't following hockey quite yet. Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, I started following hockey in 1974, so it was just a couple years thereafter. But okay, all right. Well, interesting stuff, Mike. Today in sports, gotta love it. There's our today in sports. All right, let's talk about these uh, NCAA matchups here, Mike. My bracket fell to pieces real quick over the weekend, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, Final Four is still going, so I have a really, really good shot. I still have one of the best expected scores if it goes down that way, Mike. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still happy. I'm still holding in there. Yeah, in fact, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, I still have my final four is still intact. Well, yeah, despite the fact I think uh, just about everybody I've spoken to, uh, they've had at least one bracket, one section of their bracket completely implode. And many people that I've spoken to, well, it would be the West because yeah. there were so darn many upsets out of the uh, brackets that uh, particularly no one has the West completely intact. I still had Ohio State. Going uh, to the final four from uh, the West, uh, and that's where that's in place at this point right now. Yeah, I still um, have uh, Arizona out of the West, and they're in my final four. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. Arizona's still in there. Correct. Right. So. Uh, if we take a look, if you start though first with with Saturday, uh, and some of these some of these, like, I guess, kind of have to be considered, uh, you know, something of of of, of upsets. Albeit, you know, I don't know. I, I, Gonzaga was in one seed. Uh, they were beaten by Wichita State 76-70. That was on Saturday. Now, you know, I for one didn't think Gonzaga was really all of that anyhow. I didn't have them going to the Final Four. I didn't have them going very deep at all. So some people, I think, probably consider that a major upset. I don't know. Uh, well, I don't necessarily. Yeah, yeah. If you talk about it from a ranking standpoint, it was an upset. But well, as you like said many times before in the past, Mike, you know you you know it really wasn't expected for Gonzaga to even get that kind of seating anyway. Correct, correct. Yeah. Uh, now uh, the other one that came up on Saturday, Oregon, number twelve seed, beating uh, St. Louis, seventy four fifty seven. Now this goes right to, and I I kind of predicted this one as well that Oregon was way too low in that seating at a twelve. That was just the. That was just a, a screw-up, in my opinion, on the part of the NCAA selection committee. Uh, yeah. That was just bad, bad seeding going on there. So yeah. that didn't surprise me, albeit uh, kind of a thing that St. Louis wasn't able to continue uh, their their march uh, through the tournament. Uh, yeah. Just taking a look through everything else on Saturday, everything else seems to be pretty much the way that it probably should on VCU, I think a lot of people probably had them going deep. Uh, Michigan took care of them without any difficulty at all. Yeah, on, no uh, problem Saturday. whatsoever. Uh. Yeah, seventy-eight, fifty-three. I mean, 
That that was not the VCU team I think that a lot of people were expecting to see. I you know I for one didn't think VCU was going to go very far, uh, but I didn't expect them to get beat by what are we talking there? Twenty five points? Yeah. Wow. So, what was the best game on Saturday? Looking at the standings, um, probably was Marquette Butler with two-point game. There's no doubt about it. That was an incredible game. Uh, I had Marquette going, and it actually looked for a little while there like Butler was going to win that one. Uh, and, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, if I recall correct, Marquette won that uh, with just seconds remaining on the clock. Wow. So, that, you're right. You're absolutely right. That was uh, the best game of the entire uh, of of Saturday. Let's put it that way. Of Saturday, that was the best game of Saturday. It was not the best game of the entire weekend. Those games came actually yesterday. The games yesterday were just insane. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think here. I just want to go over real quick. Uh, Arizona, uh, as you point out, you've got Arizona going to. I'm sorry. Did you say the Final Four? Yes, Final Four for Arizona. Okay, got Arizona going to the Final Four. Arizona uh, took care of the. Uh, Upset, heavy, hard team uh, Saturday, seventy-four fifty-one. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, you know, there went there went the dreams of of uh, many who uh, were looking at Harvard uh, on that one. Now, let me get my for some reason my Sunday numbers don't want to come up. Here we go. More uh, issues with my computer, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the games yesterday were just absolutely incredible. Um, Let's let's take a look real quick at a couple of these that were very very close. Ohio State and Iowa State. Iowa State played them incredibly incredibly strong. Well, uh, and for a while there, I got it. Yeah, I mean they right. Ohio State only won one by three points, and again that was the end, very very near the end of the of the game. Uh, that was within the last minute. Uh, I think actually like a minute fifteen left on the clock. Ohio State was able to get a couple of free throws. Uh, and uh, ultimately put that one uh, out of the way. But uh, Iowa State played them incredibly tough the entire game, particularly in the first half. If I'm not mistaken, if I recall correctly, Ohio State was down at halftime on that one. That okay. was a big – that was a, um, a little bit unexpected. Ohio State being a, a ranked number two was a seed going up against Iowa State uh, in a 10th seed. Temple and Indiana. Temple, you got to give a hats off to Temple. My gosh. They put a scare into Indiana as well. Indiana, a, a one seed. Uh, ultimately, Indiana won that one, fifty-eight to fifty-two. Yeah, only a six-point win. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and and Temple played them strong. There were many times that score was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in fact, again, uh, that was a game, if I'm not mistaken, where Temple was leading at halftime um, on that on that one, but Indiana prevailed. Wow. The two big games, in my opinion, and, I, and I'm going to throw the question out there for for. Uh, uh, any of our listeners, um, the two ones, Florida Gulf Coast University. Yeah, what's going on with that, man? To 71, beat San Diego State. Now, Florida Gulf Coast, a 15 seed, uh, you know, they, they won in the upset uh, over Georgetown in the uh, first round uh, on Friday. Uh, nobody expected that. Uh, Georgetown, the number two seed. Here comes Florida Gulf Coast, a 15 seed. Uh are only in the tournament, by the way, because of the fact that they won their their, their conference. That's the only reason that they're there. Uh, upset Georgetown. Everybody's thinking, okay, that's gonna be it. You know, they'll go to the they'll go to the the field of thirty two and they'll lose there. Uh uh-uh. uh. Florida Gulf Coast is going to the Sweet Sixteen uh as a result of a ten point win at San Diego. Mm. Holy smokes. That's an incredible, incredible 
And now, uh, you know, Florida Gulf has been adorned as everybody in Cinderella. Yeah. But I got to make a case for for my for my team. I got to make a case for my alma mater, and that's LaSalle. LaSalle came back yesterday uh, in the final final seconds. <coughs> Excuse me. One against Old Miss. Now LaSalle there is a 13 seed uh, as a result of beating uh, K State on uh, uh, on Friday. Yeah. Uh, so first of all. You gotta say, I want, I, and this is why I'm throwing up to the, the college. Which is bigger Cinderella? LaSalle, first of all, had to play the play-in game, uh, I believe, on Tuesday. So they had to play the uh, – actually, Wednesday. They played the play-in game, okay, against Boise State. They won that. Mm-hmm. They come in on Friday, play a number four seed in state. They beat them. Old, they're playing up against Miss, who's a 12 seed, because Old Miss surprised uh, Wisconsin. Uh, to to beat Wisconsin uh, the other day, and so there's LaSalle playing Old Miss uh, and won the game by two points. Now, I make the case for perhaps maybe LaSalle being a bigger Cinderella simply because they've had to play the extra game uh, over what uh, Florida Gulf Coast did. Yeah. They played three games within uh, the course of of what five days. So uh, to do that. Uh, yeah, I think you almost uh, I for one am uh, making. <laughs> now you know obviously there's a little bit of homerism in there as well, but mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I throw it out to the callers. Which one do they think is is the bigger Cinderella at this point? Yeah, let's throw the number out there. It's three four seven two three seven five three seven three. Who do you think is the biggest Cinderella so far in the NCAA tournament, and who do you think will shock and upset some of these top teams going into the Final Four? Yeah, and. Um, Right now, uh, only no, only one of the one seeds in Gonzaga has been displaced. So and from what we're hearing, Gonzaga shouldn't even have been in the one ranking anyway. Well, you know, as Lee Klein said last uh, Wednesday, you almost were obligated to give them the one seed because they were ranked the number one team in the country at the end of the season for a good uh, two to three weeks. So in in light of that, you almost were obligated to make them a one seed. Yeah. No. So, All right. You know, I, I mean, you can go back and forth on it whether they should have been or whether they shouldn't have been. I'm in agreement with Lee. I think you got to give them. I think you got to acquiesce and you got to give them the one seed uh, just for their accomplishment in that. Yeah. But uh, wow, uh, I got to tell you, with uh, with myself being a LaSalle uh, grad, with my uh, daughter here uh, being a LaSalle grad. Uh, you can bet that the uh, the frat house here erupted when LaSalle won that game with just seconds remaining on the clock. Yeah, huge game from uh, Tyrone Garland off the bench, huh? Absolutely, man. Big big game, big big game. As he said afterward, he had the south he had the southwest Philly roll going. Yeah, well look at that, man. Ole Miss, man. If their bench actually picked up, man, they probably could have won this game easily. So. Right now, I'm trying to see nothing. Uh, uh, LaSalle will uh, end up playing Wichita State on. Uh, uh, on Thursday in the Sweet 16, Wichita State coming in as a number nine seed. Uh, again, LaSalle is a number 13. Uh, and my my humble opinion, and, and no homerism, I mean, I'm really, really trying to be very balanced about this. It's a very, very winnable game for LaSalle. Yeah. Very well, game. with the way they're playing, absolutely, man. Yeah. Well, I fought Wichita State. Wichita State is a team that, uh, would, that LaSalle will play well to. Yes. Yeah. Let's play a little guessing game here, Mike. I'll throw them out to you right now. Uh, 
Louisville, Oregon. Who do you got there? No, yeah, I got Louisville going. Okay, uh, Michigan State, Duke. Uh, no, it's it's Duke. Okay, uh, you got LaSalle of Wichita State, uh, Arizona, Ohio State. Ohio State. Miami, Florida, Marquette. Miami. Indiana, Syracuse. Indiana. Florida, Gulf Coast versus Florida. Uh, Florida. And Michigan, Kansas. Uh, I got Kansas. Cool. All right. See, uh, you know, it's funny because I was joking. I said, in that time, you're going to have Florida going up against Florida Gulf Coast. I said this one last night. I said, you know, it, it could be a rivalry, but more than likely they've never even played each other. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun to watch it, though. Florida, really Gulf Coast, Florida Gulf Coast being one of those little, uh, uh, what do they refer to them as, uh, you know, uh, mid-level teams. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, they've never played Florida. I, I, I can guarantee it. You know, we're going to hear it when they finally do play each other. They've never played Florida. Florida's never played Florida Gulf Coast. It's never happened. Never. I, I, I don't even have to look it up. I'm going to tell you right now. I'll bet. I'll bet any amount of money it's never happened. Wow. Well, we'll see what happens. Exciting, right, Mike, what... exciting, exciting time uh, this past weekend in um, in NCAA basketball. I love I, – I, that's why I love the journey. Sounds like some uh, fun times. 48 games, man, in four, in, in, in four days. That's just insane. 48 games in four days. Yeah. And here at the frat house, we didn't miss a single one of them. <laughs> I'm we sure didn't. we won't miss any after that either. No, we won't. <laughs> All right, man. Let's uh, talk a little bit of baseball here before we get into what we were going to speak about. Just a little bit of, uh, I guess you can call it breaking news. Uh, Kyle Loesch, Mike, who we spoke about in our last show, uh, still being out there and uh, not signing to a team. He's actually headed over to the Brewers camp right now to take his physical. If he passes, he will be a Milwaukee Brewer. Good oh, sign. how about that one? How about that one? I, and I was just hearing this morning, and we're going to get into it a little bit here. Uh, I was just hearing this morning a little bit of speculation on whether, in fact, uh, the Phils might take a shot at him um, in light of the fact that we've got a few question marks hanging around some of our starting pitchers, and we'll get into that in a moment. Absolutely. All right, man, let's talk a little bit of New York Yankees here. Questionable move made, but before we get into that questionable move, let's talk about their uh, their captain and their leader, Derek Jeter, likely to begin this season on the uh, disabled list, Mike. Uh, the hits just keep coming for the New York Yankees, man. How is this going to affect them, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season with all these guys missing? Yeah, well, you know, I, I've talked about it numerous times. You know, you got to – at this particular moment, we think you have to put – you'd have to be putting money down uh, on the Yankees as potentially being the uh, basement dweller. I mean, seriously. I, I, you know – and you know, Jonathan, we 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 haven't even begun to because we don't know where it's all going to go. Yeah. But we already know that there are two of their players out there right now that have question marks hanging over their head with regard to uh, PED usage. Yeah. So they might even be taking more hits. Absolutely. Well, you got Texi out now. You got Jeter out, and of course, we heard the stuff about Cano and Granderson. Right. Uh, this is the first time that somebody's actually going to start at shortstop for the Yankees on opening day in 12 years, Mike. Wow. 12 years, and, uh, you know, Brian Cashin came out and said that the season's coming quicker than the leg's going to be ready. The right. hopes are for the Yankees that Jeter can play by April 6th, but that is a hope. There is absolutely no, uh, you know, excitement in the voice of any Yankees officials that he will be playing by April 6th, so who knows how long that this is going to prolong. So. Well, you know, it, let, throw the number out there again, because, you know, I'd love to hear from uh, some Yankees fans. 
because I've got a particular, and I, I'd like to get your read on it as well, Jonathan. This team is a mess, and yes. it's a mess because, in my opinion, it has been mismanaged. I, I have never seen a team that has been as poorly managed personnel-wise as this one has been. Well, and you know it, what, you could, you know what? You could definitely look at them and say, "Wow, this you know, there's no George Steinbrenner behind this team anymore." It, it certainly doesn't appear. It doesn't. No. No. <laughs> no. Because I mean, it's quite uh, evident. You know, listen. Just look at the names that have been brought in. Um, a lot of people knocked Ichiro being brought in last year, but he was possibly the best Yankee going into the playoffs. Right. He played like a rejuvenated person. They just signed Brennan Bosch who is most likely going to make it to the opening day roster. Why? Who knows? They brought in Kevin Euclid, who, you know, you could see is already on the downside of what he once had. You brought in Travis Hafner. Come on. Right there and then, you know what a joke it is by bringing in Travis Hafner. And then we have the trade from yesterday, Mike. Right. That we got to get into here, and that's the Yankees acquiring another outfielder and bringing in the bust of... Los Angeles and formerly of the Toronto Blue Jays, Vernon Wells. Right. At, and, and and I believe he's still owed $42 over the next two years. $42 million over the next two years. Now, you, ha- you you bring in Vernon Wells, who was batting 280 over the last bunch of years and over the last couple of seasons, 222. Couldn't right. even crack over 50 RBIs. What was the reasoning for the for Brian Cashman and the Yankees to bring in this, you know, to bring in this guy right now. Yeah, well, it's up a lot of interesting questions. Now, apparently, according to what I've got here from USA Today, uh, the Angels will end up paying out uh, anywhere between 28 and $29 million of Wells' remaining salary. The Yankees will end up only picking up about $13 million of it. Um the thinking is uh, that while you point out accurately, uh, Jonathan, what Wells' career numbers have been, uh, I think uh, there's a lot of hype being made over the fact that Wells is having a uh, what what's being referred to as kind of a stellar uh, exhibition season right now, hitting 361, four home runs and 11 RBI so far uh, this spring. Uh, now. Let me throw this out to you before you keep going. Does that count against guys that will probably never see the major leagues? Uh, yeah, right. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, that's why I pay, I pay very little attention to exhibition numbers. I don't think that they make any difference whatsoever. Absolutely. Um, and with the exception of perhaps maybe the next guy that we're going to talk about in a moment here. Um, <laughs> uh, but here's the more interesting problem that I see that the Yankees have. And that is that by taking on even this $13 million obligation for Vernon Wells, yeah. uh, that is going to put them at about $217 million on their payroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they keep talking that they're going to get under the $189 million mark. How? Uh, because otherwise they're going to end up, they're going to end up as, as the Yankees usually do, getting hit for luxury tax. Yeah. So, and they don't want that this year. They do not want to be getting hit with that. Um. I don't know how in the world they plan on getting uh, under the $189 million mark. Especially by taking on more money. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, I, you know, they, they probably were looking at this and they're going, oh, look, the Angels are going to pick up the vast majority of the $42 million that's left over on Wells' contract. Uh, you know, hey, this is a bargain. Well, it's not a bargain when you're already 
uh, well, you're already what at 209 million on the on the salary. Yeah. You're already at 29, and then you throw in another 13, and now you're coming in at like 220, uh, 222. Yeah. You know that's not a bargain then. So I it, it, I. You know, I just don't understand it. You I don't know, know, I really don't. Especially that you know what they also signed Brent Francisco too, right? On top of the Brandon Bosch signing, so you know they got you know a whole surplus of uh, outfielders now, and you know I hate to say it's still no replacement at first base for uh, Mark Teixeira, right? So right, just doesn't no, make it, sense. And that's why I'm saying you know. Yankees fans, give us a call. I mean, if you're excited about this particular team, let us know and let us know why. I haven't I haven't seen anybody excited about this from you know Yankees fans that I've known from uh, you know stuff that I have read from reading tweets about this. I haven't seen anybody excited about this signing at all. And it's you know it's it's not me knocking the Yankees. It's me knocking why. They would make this deal, and of course, then we have uh, you know Jeff Passan, uh, you know who we love over at Yahoo, and uh, he he wrote an article today, uh, or, or excuse me, late last night, saying Yankees grab at one hundred twenty-six million dollar bust Vernon Wells makes little sense and is a pure sign of desperation. Yeah, well, I would agree with that assessment. Yeah, uh, and like I said, I think also uh, Jonathan, they're looking at it as uh, it's a bargain because yeah. when you got the other side of uh, when you got the other side of the ledger, the other team. Uh, indicating that they'll pick up twenty-eight to twenty-nine million dollars of the guy's contract just to get him the hell out of town. Uh, the Yankees are probably looking at it and going, "Oh, well, we got to take advantage of this." So, I, you know, but even I, I fourteen million dollars for a guy who can't crack, you know, who's under fifty RBIs. I don't, I don't, I still think that's that's really not any savings to me. I'm sorry. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. They need you know, a baseman right now. So you know, I, I we need to find somebody too from the media. Uh, I would love to hear from somebody up there in New York who are covering the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, you know, how is this being portrayed up in uh, up in New York to the Yankee yeah. fan base? How is the media playing this whole this whole season and all of the mess? I mean, just the absolute mess that this team is. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll definitely reach out to somebody and have somebody on next week to talk about the uh, whole Yankee situation and. Signing Vernon Wells, still without a first baseman, you know, Granderson, Teixeira, uh, you know, all you know, all these guys, including Derek Jeter, being out and uh, how it's going to affect the beginning of the season for the Yankees. It's not going to be good, that's for sure. Yep. Uh, let's uh, turn it over to the NL now. Let's talk a little bit about your Phillies and specifically starting pitcher Roy Holiday, who's yeah. having a terrible spring. Right. Not pitching well at all. His, the velocity on his fastball alone is, is way, way off. From what Roy Holiday can do, what's going on, Roy Holiday, Mike? And is this, you know, in your mind, is this just him working out some stuff? You know, do you expect him to be pitching like this at the beginning of the season? Is that going to go? And how far will that go into the season? The, uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, a chat um, and a lot of concern chat uh, from many analysts here in the Philadelphia region with regard to uh, Holiday. Uh, Jason Stark's got a uh, article uh, over on ESPN, I believe, just this morning. Holiday ready for the season, where he's quoted, uh, he's quoting Holiday himself, saying, "I feel like I'm ready." He said, "I feel uh, like physically I'm ready. Just a matter of getting the pitches and getting out there." Yeah. Well, it's just not happening. I mean, we've talked about this. Uh, 
Uh, one, one uh, I forget who it was, but one I heard I quoted, uh, one pitcher, former Phil's pitcher, I, uh, was quoted as saying, you don't lose five miles off of your fastball in an off season, And apparently that's the case right now. Uh, I think you indicated that in one article, what, uh, the reports are he's throwing at like 85 miles an hour. Yeah, he was uh, throwing 85 miles per hour fastballs. Uh, Todd Zalecki, who you know very well, Mike, uh, right. said that his velocity was in the 85 to 89 range. He hit 90 just once, and that was in the first inning on one of his first pitches. Right. Sounds like that on. Uh, something, you know, I think the concern is that he's not letting on that there's a problem. But not even uh, that, though. They're, uh, you know, they were talking about his command as well. Right. Wasn't even just the velocity that the command on his pitches was just has been way way off. I mean, he's not even pitching against these uh, you know major league teams in spring training. He was making some minor league starts. Right, right. So, yeah, it's it's uh, I I don't know. Um, and this is why, as I pointed out, there was some chat uh, here just this morning. You know, would the Phils actually go after and try to to lure Kyle Loesch over to the Phils? If in fact something were to go wrong, seriously, seriously wrong here. Um, well, it doesn't look I, like it now. The, the, no, not at this point. If you're telling me that he's going over to the Brewers, yeah. but uh, uh, this is not this is not this is not the way I think any of us here in Philadelphia were kind of hoping. You know, there's a lot of people. I'm going to stick by my guns. I'm sticking by my guns. If the Phils will end up either third or fourth in the division, yeah. uh, you know. There are a lot of fans here in the Philadelphia region who I think are just drinking the Kool-Aid and, and thinking this could be a 1983 version of the Philadelphia uh, uh, Wees kids, no. uh, where all of a sudden this team is just going to take everybody by surprise in the East and, and end up playing in a in a World Series that they didn't belong in in 1983. Let's get it straight. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to happen, folks. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Um, at the same time, though, I don't think any of us really were anticipating that Holiday – would be one of the ones that would be problematic. Yeah. Well, I don't think we were expecting that. Well, what um, about the pressure now that this puts on Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels now? No doubt about it. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. It puts a little bit of pressure on them. So by signing Kyle Loesch, it would have taken a lot of pressure off of Lee and Hamels, and especially all, two guys that don't need the pressure. And with all due respect, Phil's fans need to remember that uh, Cliff Lee did not have a great season last year. No, not at all. So, uh, you know... That's another one that, in many, in, in, in at least in my mind, uh, I look at and I go, I let's get it straight, fans. Cliff Lee is no automatic anymore either. No, no. He did. So, have, uh, what, what, what was he? Six and nine last season, I believe. Uh, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I don't have the numbers directly in front of me. Yeah, uh, six and nine was three sixteen ERA right last year. Not good, man. Not good. No, not good at all. You, you know. Uh, Everybody, everybody seems to forget. Oh, Cliff Lee, Cliff Lee. Uh, listen, he was not. He was not the dominant Cliff Lee that we've seen. There were talk, there was talk uh, mid season last year about moving Lee. Yeah. So, well, you know, uh, you know, if you take a look at Lee's career numbers, you know, there were some times where he was a very, very dominant pitcher, and there were some times where he was a very, very spotty pitcher as well. Yes. Yes. You know, uh, it's you know. Great pitcher, don't get me wrong, but I don't think a Cliff Lee or a Cole Hamels needs the pressure right now of not having a very good Roy Holiday because Roy Holiday is the ace of this staff. You know, well, Hamels had a very, very good season last year. Um, 
like I, I know I wouldn't call it a bounce back season, Mike, but probably one of his better seasons he had last season, correct? Oh, there's no doubt about it. And yeah. and and really, in many respects, I I forget if it was Halliday or it was uh, Cliff Lee, who actually made the comment that in fact Hamels is the ace of this year's team. Yeah. Well, so oh, I, I think that's really what what a lot of the uh, I think that's what a lot of the fans are looking for. I believe that, and I, correct me if uh, I want to say I want to say it's already been indicated that in fact Hamels will be the opening day pitcher. Yes, as the opening day starter. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Now, according to just going back real quick to the holiday situation and to show how bad it has been so far in this uh, exhibition season, uh, in the um, in the Jason Stark article that I've got here, uh, Holiday has a 6.75 ERA uh, in five official spring starts. All right, 6.75. All right, he has allowed 14 hits, seven walks, 10 runs in only seven and two thirds innings. Not good, man. No. Not good. No, and, and you know, for 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 Holiday to come out and make statements that, hey, I'm good, I'm fine, I just, you know, I'm, I'm physically, you know, he's not doing himself any favors with the fan base. The fans right. don't like it when you lie, particularly here in Philadelphia. Just be honest. Well, especially when they're banking on you to be an anchor. You know, that's the uh, that's the big part about it. Uh, also, just got it through my desk that Kyle Loesch has reached an agreement with the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers will now lose their number seventeen pick for signing Loesch. Well, that's I, to me that's worth it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Me, that's, Especially yeah, for a yeah, team like Milwaukee. So. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I would give up a seventeen pick. That's no problem. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, you know, it's uh, baseball draft is not like other drafts, Mike. You know, you, you, you really don't know what you're getting half the time. So. Well, and that's, and you don't ever really get to see what you've got for at least what, Jonathan, four or five years sometimes. Oh, easily, easily, sometimes more. Scary. Um, our buddy Frank Closto wrote on phillydelphia.com that uh, he expects the uh, Phillies to skip Holiday the first time through the rotation uh, in favor of a simulated game. So. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's what Frank expects. So. But they'll actually skip him, huh? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, that's what he's uh, looking at, Mike. So. Interesting. We'll, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens here. Of course, uh, you know, keeping my eye on the uh, news feed to see what's going to happen. Uh, you know, if we have any news. If uh, Philly's not making a move or not, you know, we'll definitely keep everybody up to date here on Fans Junkies Radio. So, uh, all right, Mike, let's talk about uh, somebody else. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to say somebody you like, but uh, Johnny Manziel. Interesting story came out uh, over on the uh, Crystal Ball run, and uh, I, you know what? I, you know what? I'm, I'm not really going to describe it for you. I'm just going to throw it out there for you. He was playing in a spring game. And uh, he threw three straight interceptions. On one of the last interceptions, he pushed uh, – well, he shoved one of the uh, graduate assistants uh, from the team. So, uh, you know, it, it wasn't good. It, it wasn't good. It, it, it could have escalated really quickly, but luckily for, uh, you know, Manziel – I'm not going to say for anybody else. Luckily for Manziel, players and coaches got involved really quickly and, uh, you know, you know helped smooth it over. Mike, you – you're not really a fan of Manziel. What do you think is going on with this kid, man? Well, I would um, – all right. Well, let me back up the bus there a moment. Um, actually, I am a fan of Manziel. Well, off the field, I'm, I meant. Correct. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I think the kid has the potential for being a very, very, very special talent. Yeah. Uh, I also think uh, he's a he's – a, uh, uh, <laughs> 
I also think he is a spoiled rich kid who needs to grow the hell up. Uh, that's my personal opinion on it. Uh, he is consistently doing just immature, stupid things. Uh, and, and it goes to show you that, uh, you know, really when it comes right down to it, I've always been opposed to giving the Heisman Trophy to anybody who's not at least a junior. Uh, and, and, you know, it, 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 this kid just is, is – grow the hell up. That's all I got to say because you're doing yourself – uh, you're not doing yourself any favors whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Well, do you see him doing this stuff in the NFL? If somebody doesn't get a rain on him, yeah, uh, he's not going to have an NFL career because let's for, let's for, you know let's not forget. I mean, the kid's only going to be a sophomore next year. Yeah. So well, uh, he's he just he, he, you know, his whole attitude, Jonathan, just strikes me as somebody that thinks he is so much better than everybody else. Yeah. Well, and, listen, and frankly, I'd love to. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. That's all right. No, no, no. I was just gonna say he does this on the you know on the NFL field to the wrong guy, man. He's he's losing his face. Oh, well, listen. I hope somebody lays him the hell out. Somebody ought to oh, lay yeah. him the hell out in NCAA football in a, in, a, in a football game that he plays next year in college. Somebody ought to lay him out. Who knows? That'll be a nice learning tool for him. Yeah, I, I would like to think. Yeah. I, I mean, would... this, kid, this kid just says and does dumb crap, and it, you know you can't even say that it's dumb crap from the standpoint that, oh, he's innocent, he doesn't know any better. No, you know what it is, Jonathan? It's it's a level of arrogance. You can see it. The stuff he does just screams arrogance. It yeah. screams, I'm better than everybody else. Don't yeah. you tell me I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't know, Mike. Really don't know. And that's what I don't like about the kid. That's what I don't like about him. I mean, yeah. like I said, I think the kid I think the kid has the potential of being a very, very, very special talent. Yeah, he's got the talent. But, uh, you know, if you're going to walk around with a with a sinking chip on your shoulder all the time uh, and think you're better than everybody else, well, so, as you just pointed out, somebody, somebody's going to stick it to him. Well, he's going to have to uh, get a broken jaw or something, man. It's, uh, you know, if he keeps going like this, I mean, you know, you, you just don't push people just because you're throwing an interception. You know, you just don't do that. That's uh, you know, that's a sign of nothing but being immature. Well, and if you continue, I'm you being know, an ass. If you continue to have this kind of a reputation, let's say, let's say he plays another two years in uh, in the collegiate ranks. Yes. <clears throat> and let's say he decides, uh, I don't know, to enter the draft after his uh, uh, after his junior year or something. Yeah. Um, and he continues to have this kind of reputation. Is that the kind of guy you want on your team? I I wouldn't no, I wouldn't want him on my team. Yeah. So you know somebody needs to get him on the side and say straighten your ass off. I mean that's really what they need to do. Hmm. Agree. Agree. Now isn't that the uh, job of the coaches on this team right now? See, I, I, you know that's where I go with it, uh, Jonathan. I don't. See, I think this is a kid that's out of control. I don't, I don't know if the coaches have any control over him. I mean, it, it, there have been times, there have been times on the field. It certainly appears that uh, you know he does exactly as he wants. Yeah. Well, is, you know, you know, doesn't that warrant the coaches to do something that's about true. it then? Well, yeah, you sit his ass is what you do. But they, but they won't do that. They want to win. Talking about a Heisman Trophy winner, dude. Yeah, they want to win games. So. The Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. All right. 
Let's go into uh, a little bit of hockey here. Tampa Bay Lightning firing their head coach, Guy Boucher, ending his three-year run with the team. Tampa Bay is now second to last and will most likely, well, they're definitely going to miss the playoffs this year. Mike, you're uh, you're not too happy about this. I like Guy Boucher, to be honest with you, Jonathan. I like him. Um, I, I thought he, you know, I understand that Tampa Bay, uh, you know, they're. <laughs> I understand where they are right now in the standings. I understand that Tampa Bay, you know, over the years has not been the greatest team in the world. But I like Guy Boucher, and I thought that this was, um, uh, I thought this was ill-conceived. Yeah. Uh, to, that, that's just my personal opinion. Now, I mean, there might be a lot of people that would disagree with me. Uh, maybe they think that Guy Boucher is is overrated. I, for one, thought he was a very good coach. I I like the guy. Um, I, you know. To me, what are you looking at? You got about uh, less than twenty games remaining in the in the season. Uh, firing the coach and bringing in a, a, a an interim coach at this point. In fact, I think it's two, right? Yeah. They, have two, they have two guys. I think they're coaching the team interim wise. That's not gonna. What's that? What's that prove and what's that do? Doesn't really do anything. I mean, I was never a fan of firing a coach with only uh, you know a certain amount of games left when you knew your team wasn't going anywhere anyway. Yeah. To me, it makes absolutely no sense. Right. So, what's the point of this? You know, uh, you know, you only you only create you only create a whole. Well, you really only create fodder for guys like you and I. Yeah. I mean, to talk about it. I mean, it's what what is the point of it all? I I I just don't I don't get it. Well, considering this is a team that I think needs to start rebuilding, and of course, I think some players need to go from the Lightning before I thought Guy Boucher needed to go. But you uh, and I thought, but as you said. It's always the coach. Right. I, I, we were saying that. You were saying that, you know, pre-show. And, and the fact of the matter is that it's always it's always going to come down on one guy, you know. At, at this particular time of the season, it certainly can't be falling down on the heads of three guys who all play on the team or something. That's not going to happen. So we're going to have it fall down on one guy. See, to me, with 20 games remaining in the season, uh, you let Boucher alone. And you, you, if you have to make a change, do it in the off season. Yeah. That's that's what I would do. Yeah. If you really, I mean, really feel that you have to make. A change. I mean, you know what, man? It, 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 like we said, it, it's it's always a coach, especially in the NHL. It's easier to get rid of a coach than it is to get rid of the ten million dollars that Vinny LeCavalier is owned. Uh, you you right. know, the bust who Ryan Malone is, the injury right. problems, Tyus Oland. I mean, it's it's just a lot easier to get rid of. Guy Boucher, but it's unfortunate because of these contracts and some of these players that they have that a guy like Guy Boucher has now got to be out of a job yeah. because of it. Um, I, I like Guy Boucher. Um, you know, here's here's a guy that had absolutely no NHL coaching experience, and that was Steve Eisenman's go-to guy when Steve Eisenman took over down in Tampa Bay. Uh, so you know uh, Steve Eisenman probably has a heavy heart today after having to fire Guy Boucher. But, uh, well, you know, maybe. Yeah, but I'm sure it came from the top. You know, that, maybe. You know, no, uh, Kevin Kevin Allen over at the USA Today uh, reporting that uh, Eiserman is looking at a veteran coach as a permanent replacement. Leading candidate would appear to be Lindy Ruff. Yeah, so, you know, who knows if he put in uh, Guy Boucher in there just for the hell of it, just to see if uh, he could wait for somebody like a Lindy Ruff to be out there. Well, Boucher's been there, though, three years. Yeah, well, exactly. But who really was uh, available in the NHL coaching ranks over the last couple of seasons? Really not nobody. So. Well, I don't. I don't think this was a situation. I mean, three years is a hell of a. <laughs> that's a hell of a. Uh, what's the word I want? Uh, a practice session, isn't it? 
I mean, I, I don't think Iserman was looking at uh, Boucher as being some sort of placeholder until somebody else came along. I, I, you know, I believe that he really thought that he could, you know, Guy Boucher was going to take this team someplace. Probably, but I think the uh, decision was probably made last year that, you know, he probably wasn't going to be around much longer. And, you know, now with right. Lindy Ruff out, I mean, you'll see it if Lindy Ruff comes in right away. I still don't think Lindy Ruff would be the answer down there in Tampa Bay. I think they need to start rebuilding the team, but that's just me. So, What do you think will happen? Do you think that they'll actually start to rebuild this team? No, no, because uh, they got a lot of names to get rid of, so just don't exactly. see that. Yeah. But then again, I, I don't see some of these players on this team responding to a guy like Lindy Ruff. So. I would agree with you. I don't know yeah. if Lindy Ruff is going to make any big difference. I don't think so. I don't think so. You know who would be perfect for this team? Go ahead. Ted Nolan. You need a hard ass in there, man. Hmm. And I'm a big Ted Nolan fan. So yeah. This, this is a guy that still should be in the NHL coaching, man. It's a shame. I could see that. Yeah. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, this is a guy that should be in the NHL coaching, and let me tell you, if the Rangers ever got rid of John Tortorella, Ted Nolan would be my first choice, and he was my choice a couple of seasons ago, you know, before they uh, hired Torts anyway, so, but we'll see what happens, uh, you know, we'll keep everybody up to date on that. Um, let's talk about this deal with uh, the Sacramento Kings, Mike, we've spoken about this in the past now, uh, Kings most likely getting ready to move and uh, becoming the Seattle Supersonics, Mike. Uh, Mayor Kevin Johnson, former uh, Phoenix Suns point guard Kevin Johnson, um, announced on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago that uh, – actually, was that today? Did the, no, it was, yeah, it was a couple of days ago that he's pleased to announce that with the help of Burkle, Mashov, and Ranadive Group uh, on a public-private uh, partnership to build a new uh, arena that could possibly keep the Sacramento Kings in Sacramento, Mike. Do you think this right. is a good move? Well, uh, you know, uh, here's the deal. Uh, and this is what this is where I'm uh, uh, modestly skeptical. Um, there are no details here to the financing of this. Uh, there's no information as far as timetable. Yeah. Um, I, I think the two big questions have to be cost. Uh, number one, cost. Number two, how that cost is going to be financed. You know, because you and I have talked so so many times about taxpayers having to pick up the so much of uh, of these project it's ridiculous uh and then three would be the timetable um you know sacramento has there's been a lot of apprehension about doing this in fact this has been the big stumbling block is that sacramento doesn't they don't want a new arena there they don't feel that they've got the, the the ability to do so so how all of a sudden did this happen and how did this take care take place well, that's where, that's where I need the details. Well, I have a little details here. Uh, the Go deal ahead. avoids new ta- uh, the deal avoids new taxes, protects the city on the king's loan, and ensures no net impact to the general fund. Fund for a comparable investment to the 2000 deal, we've secured more private investment and greater econ developmental potential at the new site. They will also make a 35-year commitment to keep the Sacramento Kings right where they belong. And Kevin Johnson went on to say on Twitter, once again, we are proving the strength of our market, both as host to an NBA team, but as an emerging region with global potential. So he said he's uh, excited to talk further about the deal with the council colleagues and the public. And then he uh, just a few minutes later, about a half hour later, he posted a picture with his hand up in the air talking on the cell phone and uh, said that the deal was officially closed just a few minutes ago. So people in Sacramento were happy about it. So. Well, and as as rightly they should be, uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm still 
going to withhold my enthusiasm until I see or hear the details because uh, something here doesn't isn't driving with what the previous reports were. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure how this is all how this the, is all. Well, here you go. We'll have it for Friday because the cost um, I think is supposed to be released not not too uh, pretty soon. Okay. If I'm wrong, I'm not entirely sure here. So. I think they said it was supposed to be released actually last Thursday. A cost was supposed to be released. Uh, they also have to make competing offers to buy the Kings, which the Seattle investors value at $525 million. So they would have to not only build the arena, they would have to buy the Kings as well. Dear God. Yeah. See, where is all the where is all this coming from? And that's where they've got to... From from a standpoint of a, of an individual looking on this, uh, you know, f- from the outside, I I, I want to know what those details are. This is all way too sketchy to me. Uh, I, I mean, ah boy, <laughs> this is a, this is a big. You're, you're talking about a lot of money here, Jonathan. Okay, here we go. The city of Sacramento plans to contribute two hundred and fifty-eight million dollars to the four hundred and forty-seven million dollar project. Mostly by leasing out parking garages and land, the other 189 million will come from the investment group. Johnson said the deal will avoid new taxes and it will ensure, like I said before, a net impact to the city's general fund. Okay, wait a minute. Now, did you quote the project as being 447 million? Yes. Well, where's the cost to buy the team? That's the cost that I haven't seen. Yeah, you go and throw that in there. Guess what? You're looking at a billion dollars. Well, the investment firm that's doing the arena will be head of the arena. I think there is another investment firm that would be buying the uh, Kings out by themselves. So. Okay, and what are the, what's the con- contribution from the private investors? That I haven't heard on that one. Uh, for the arena alone, I know the private investor is uh, $189 million. Uh, $189, okay. So that looks like it's about roughly what? About one-third? Yeah, let me see. Sacramento is hoping to block a bid by group that has a pending purchase agreement to buy the Kings from the Malou family, move the team to Seattle, and restore the Supersonics name. That group, led by hedge fund manager Chris Hansen and Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer, right. has had a deal to acquire a 65% stake in the team for $345 million. So that was for a 65% stake of the Sacramento Kings. And that was, to, yeah, but that was to move them up to uh, back exactly. up to Exactly. So if you're looking at a 65% stake of the team at 341 million, for them to uh, go over that to keep the Kings, you know, who knows how much 65% stake in a team by then would be? Probably, I'm thinking in the high 350s, maybe 360s. Okay. Yeah. You see my, you see my concern here, right? This was a team. This was a team and a city that had said. We can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this. Now all of a sudden, we're talking four hundred. Uh, we're talking half billion dollar projects for stadiums. We're talking another half billion dollars to buy a team. Where suddenly is all this coming from? And that's what I want to see the details on. Exactly. Exactly. This, well, is, this is way too speculative. The NBA Board of Governors, uh, they're expected to make a decision uh, by the middle of April. Wow. But if the, I mean, the league can block it. So if the league does block it. Uh, for what I read, the Maloofs would still have to uh, agree to sell the team to uh, any other group that they can. And more than likely, at that point, that would probably pave the way for it to go to Seattle. Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, now let me ask you a question. It really depends on what the package would be for them to keep it in Sacramento. I mean, if it's going to come out of 
taxpayers' pockets, and uh, all of a sudden you're going to see uh, the general public talk out about it. Um, you know, to me, I still think it's going to end up in Seattle. I, I don't think them building this arena is going to really keep the Sacramento Kings in Sacramento. Okay, but wait a minute. Let me. You and I have talked about this quite a bit in the past. Yes. Uh, from the from your knowledge, inside knowledge of the NBA, what would NBA? What would the NBA prefer? Would the NBA prefer this to stay in Sacramento? You know, I'm sure that they wouldn't care necessarily if it moved to Seattle, but would they prefer it to stay in Sacramento or actually make that move to Seattle? I think the NBA would prefer them to be in um, Sacramento. Uh, excuse me, in Seattle. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. You know, I, I I don't think they necessarily. Now, you and I have both. You you have indicated Sacramento's got a good got a good fan base. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, but. Considering that they haven't been making money, and you know a new owner could you know inject some life into them, and it could turn around. It's not a hundred percent sure. Now, do you want to try to take the chance of keeping them in Sacramento with a new arena that could possibly, depending on what deals are, eat away at a lot of fan base money, or move them to another place where there already is an arena built, ready to go, and is already paid off for? And you have a fan base of, of rabid, rabid basketball fans who have been missing their team for quite a few years now. You know, right, uh, right. So, you know, you know. To me, going to Seattle, that's going to instantly inject a lot of money not only into the team itself but into the National Basketball Association. So, to me, in my, uh, you know, in, in my opinion of looking through things and what could possibly be, I think the NBA would want them in Seattle. So, all right. Then, so, my, you know. Like- Let's My because of course the NBA wants an instant cash flow to come into them. So let's play devil's advocate, or let's play let's play devil's advocate here for a moment. Uh, could the NBA uh, block this simply because perhaps maybe that would be their their desire? It's a possibility. I mean, I mean, the NBA is going to do what they feel is is you know right for them to do it. Um, you know, if you look at the uh, group of guys buying this team and uh, going to move them up to you know to Seattle. You're talking about well-known um, hedge funders, and of course, with Microsoft backing the team, uh, you know you're going to be talking about a lot of even potential deals that the NBA could do with a lot of these businesses. Right. Would be buying now, this whole team. So. When did you say that the NBA would be making a decision on this by April? Mid-April. Mid-April. So only a few more weeks, and we'll have a decision. Okay. This might be one of David Stern's final decisions. Yeah. Oh no! Right. No, it, 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 it's it's absolutely going to be his final decision. Or do you think he would defer this to somebody else coming in and they just drag it out? Well, Adam Silver's taken over as commissioner okay. of the NBA. I think phenomenal move. I love Adam Silver. I think he's going to do a phenomenal job. I think that David's, uh, you know, Stern and Silver are going to have say in this together, uh, amongst other people as well, including owners of other NBA teams. So I think a lot of people will have the fi- you know, say in this, but I think the final say will come down to a. Uh, Tandem of uh, Stern and uh, Silver. So, well, regardless of how it goes, regardless of whether it goes to Sac- stays in Sacramento or goes to uh, um, Seattle, uh, there's one thing I know, and that is that they got to get rid of the Maloose. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, I mean, that ownership group has got to go. Uh, they got to do something about it. You know, ad- you know, you know, addition by subtraction there. So, you know, they're, 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 I rank them up there real high with some of my favorite owners in the entire world. 
All right, man. Uh, well, Mike, you know what? Before we get into uh, NASCAR real quick, because we've got a little over four minutes, so you can give us a little update. Just wanted to throw this out here for you. Eagles have agreed to terms with old pro punter Donnie Jones. You got yourself a new punter, man. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm i going to be able to sleep better tonight. You should. <laughs> you'll, you'll get some nice punts now uh, past that 40-yard line. So. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep a lot better tonight. No more uh, Matt McBriar for you. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, quick, man. We got a little four minutes left. Uh, what happened in NASCAR this weekend? Oh my goodness! What a what a race yesterday uh, out in Fontana at the uh, at the Auto Club 400 uh, Sprint Cup. This was the Sprint Cup Series race. Uh, absolutely incredible ending to this race, uh, Jonathan. Uh, the last 50 laps really were were. I, I mean, I just sat here. You know, I got basketball going on the other two screens. And we've got the race going on on the big one, and uh, the last 50 laps were just tense. It, the backstory is there's been a lot of turmoil between former teammates Joey Logano and uh, Denny Hamlin. A lot mm. of tension between these two. In fact, they almost got into it uh, into a brawl at the end of last week's race. Now, mind you, they're former teammates. Um, well, don't you know, these two are racing each other all day long, and it comes down to the very last lap. And these two are literally nose-to-nose for first place. It was mm. the most incredible drama because anybody who knows the story of, the, of, of what's going on between these two, and here they are going back and forth. They're pushing each other. You know, one's coming up right, right, right side to each other. Well, don't you know, they're so busy fighting with each other, okay, down the final stretch that Logano, fi- fighting for, for, the, for the front spot, Veers off just a tad bit, goes into Hamlin. Hamlin goes spinning around, and who goes flying right by both of them but Kyle Busch to take the checkered flag. It was the funniest thing almost to watch. That was funny. Now, what wasn't funny was what would happen afterward. Uh, Denny Hamlin goes spinning off uh, the opposite side of the track and ended up going headfirst into a wall. Uh, Mercifully, he, he apparently he was... Helicoptered off the off the track uh, on a on a backboard, but apparently uh, all is good. Uh, they had him in the hospital for observation. He was complaining of back pain, but apparently he's okay. But uh, just Thankfully. an incredible, incredible ending to that. And then of course uh, Tony Stewart's got to get into the mix. Tony Stewart he goes flying over to Logano and he's ready to to punch his lights out over the whole thing, blaming Logano for the fact that he uh, that he that he wrecked Hamlin. Uh, you know, those of us that saw it really didn't think that it was a purposeful situation. It was just hard, hard racing between the two drivers, and it just so happened that there's a bit of a backstory to them. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, you, he's okay. You though, so. If you get a chance to see the final footage of it, it's amazing. We'll definitely check that out, man. And the listeners need to check that out as well. All right, Mike. Well, that's it for today's show, man. But before we let everybody go, just wanted to throw it out there, too. Kyle Osha's deal, three years, $33 million with the Milwaukee Brewers. A good deal for uh, I think that's a good deal for uh, Milwaukee. Oh, absolutely, man. They needed another pitcher, so good deal. All right, man. Well, that's it for uh, Fan Junkies Radio here today. We want to thank the listeners, and as always, head over to FanJunkies.net. Always free, always fun. Social networking for sports fans, and as and always, uh, FratHouseSports.net. Check out our very own Mike and his crew over there. Great stuff. Five minutes at the Frat House. Got to check it out. Good stuff. Yep. So for Mike McShane, I'm Jonathan Ragus. Thank you for tuning in to Fan Junkies Radio. We'll see you all Wednesday. Catch you then.